It's interesting that Phil used that story about Abraham and Isaac on Father's Day. You know, normally you, you, your mind goes to the fact that Isaac would be a little boy, but the fact is he was not a little boy. Uh, he was probably a teenager, and some, some think he was as old as 25 years old. Now, if you think about that, and the fact that he goes up the hill with his dad and gets you know and allows his father to put him on the wood i mean somebody's got to trust their dad he said the lord will provide and somebody had to trust the fact that their father believed god and was had their best interest at heart so anyway that's a great story for father's day um Nathan, can I get you to do me a favor? Or William or somebody, Adam, maybe Adam. Would you move that projector where that thing's not so crooked? I'll function a whole lot better. Well, that not I should have asked somebody else. That's my Father's Day gift from my son. Countering the dearth of fatherhood. Now, let me just give some disclaimers before I begin today. Today's message is not intended to create condemnation for anybody. Because as a father, as a mother, we dealt with this on Mother's Day, but as a father, it's real easy to look at the standard, it's real easy to look at the bar and say, well, okay, I'll never make that, or I never made that, and feel bad. That's not the intent. Now, you know, I always say this, if the conviction fits, wear it. You know, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something, then you make the adjustment. But this is not intended to condemn or create shame. And as I go through this message, uh, and as I, look, as I prepared this message, I said, oh, me, far more than I said, Amen. So if you see me pointing a finger at you, remember I got three more pointing back at me. Also remember, and this applies to every facet of our lives, especially our Christian lives, remember this, direction is everything. Everybody, let's say that together. Direction is everything. It's about direction, not perfection. If you're going in the right direction, even if it's incremental, we're good. And so if you are going in the right direction today, then everything is okay. And the, and the last thing, and I may say other things, but is, is remember this. As I look back, somebody said to me, won't you write a book on fathering? I said, well, the title would be All the Mistakes I Made as a Father, and you, you shouldn't. But I look back, I see that God's grace always fills in the gaps where we come short as long as we're going in the right direction and allowing him to. So, and, 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 and the other thing is, wives, mothers, whatever, don't beat your husband up based on this message. If, if any man under the sound of my voice in this room or watching any of these three cameras, of course, they're all going to one picture. So anyway, 
has achieved what we're going to talk about today, I'd like to shake their hand because no one has except God the Father. Countering the dearth of fatherhood. I just heard, I'll read some stuff in a moment, but I just read this morning, Pastor Greg Laurie uh, has an article on foxnews.com. It's an opinion article, but basically it states that the, the, almost all of the issues that we're dealing with today in society are, can be traced back to a lack of fatherhood. He gave some, I don't remember what the, all they were, but alarming, stati- not alarming, but serious statistics of how many of the, the kids like the kid that went into the school in Uvalde, Texas, how, the high percentage of those kids who did not have a father in their life. And it's amazing. Now, these statistics are, are, you know, eight, nine years old, but some of them are from the Census Bureau, some of them from the U.S. Department of Justice, but I'm just going to go through them, and you just let the, the sum total of it uh, impress you, I guess. The percentage of children without a father in the United States is 43%. This was... This was uh, Eight years ago, uh, longer than that maybe, I don't know. 90% of runaway and homeless children are from fatherless homes. Um, 70% of minors housed in state facilities, 70% are from fatherless homes. 39% of inmates, this was in 2002, 39% of inmates housed in jail are from homes with an absent father. I'm not reading you all of them. Um, and then as we, as we, regarding education, 71% of all high school dropouts are from a fatherless household. If a child has a father in the home, they are 40% less likely to repeat, repeat grade school. Teenage repeat offender arsonists are 90% more likely to be from an absent father household. The percentage of minors in prison who grew up without a father, is 85%. Kids with fathers who are involved in their lives are more likely to do better in school than kids who don't have a father in the home. That's from the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Preschoolers with with an involved father figure develop better verbal skills. Kids experience fewer behavior issues in school when a father figure is, here's the key word, active in their life. Girls develop stronger math skills when growing up with a father figure. And boys get better grades in school when the father figure is, in, is active in their life. That's not driving over to the school opening the door and kicking them out. So I'll see you later. It's, it's, it's active. We'll come back to this passage in a moment, but Hebrews 12 says, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And I'll just read that because I want us to think about this. The lack of discipline in our life equals, in most cases, the lack of active involvement by a father or a father figure. 
No discipline because there's no involvement. And the reason there's no involvement is because lack of fathers. And the writer of Hebrews says that makes us illegitimate children. And so in some ways, what we're dealing with in our culture and society today is a whole plethora of illegitimate children. And I don't mean in the sense that their mom and dad weren't married. No, I mean in the sense that they have not, fatherhood has not been applied to their lives. And therefore, they are, in the biblical sense, illegitimate children. And this is the ill that we have today. It is the problem we have in our culture. And that is lack of fathers and lack of fatherhood. I've told you many times that years ago, Bob Mumford wrote a, a teaching newsletter called uh, Plumline. It was called the Plumline. And one of those was entitled The Renegade Male. And it was, the whole, it was a whole article on how men are prone to renege our duties and our responsibilities and abdicate. And uh, it's still a trait that we have to guard against. Uh, the ministry of John the Baptist is described as he comes in the power of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah is described that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's in Luke, but also quoted from Malachi, that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. God even then knew there would come a day and, and long before now that we would need to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It's interesting that when we look at the word father, uh, some of you use or are familiar with the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. It's a, it has a numbering system for words throughout the Bible. And the Strong's number one, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the number one word is father. First, the first, I don't know how, who decided that, but it, it, it's the word for father. And I think that's because that's where it all begins. When you go to the Garden of Eden and you go to creation, you see God the Father. God the creator. The word in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for father is just a simple word, A-B, but it means a producer of a certain thing or a generator. I don't mean generator like it's in your car, but that generates something. One who causes something to be. This is what a father is. Sometimes this word means architect or a builder or creator of something. And so we must, we understand that as fathers, Part of our role is that we produce something, and that something is a someone or someones, and we're, we're creating something with God's help. God gave us the family structure so that it would be possible for us to think of him and relate to him. The In Ephesians, and we're not going to read it, but it talks about... Uh, the father of the family of God under heaven. And the word family there is patria, P-A-T-R-I-A. You could really translate that, and some versions do, that it's the fatherhood of God, family and fatherhood. So we could relate to him so that everyone who has a father can have some basis for being able to think of God the Father. Philip said, show us the father. We want to meet the father. And Jesus said, well, you met me, you met him. That's all you need. And God the Father, so in his sovereign choice, so structured the family 
with the Father as the leader. I hasten to add, not the pusher and not the puller. We're not called as leaders to push our family. We're not called as leaders to drag our family. We're not called as leaders to attempt to force our families. Well, I was working on some buildings in Mobile, Alabama one day, which later became the, the, the buildings for Integrity Music. And a friend of mine, we were working, and he said something about uh, forcing your wife to do something. I said, Bob, I just want to let you know something. You can't force your wife to do anything. And he started laughing. He said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And not only that, we don't want to. We don't want to force. And so I want to look at Ephesians 6. We're just going to read four verses and, uh, and just do the best we can. Ephesians 6, uh, and if you would uh, stand while we read the Scripture today, and I'm once again reading from the English Standard Version, children. That's interesting. It starts off in this passage, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. By the way, children, you're, you're not getting off the hook today. I'm going to finish up with you. So you, you can run out the door. Do it now. Uh, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, before you're seated, in his letter to the Colossians, he says it this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not irritate or exasperate your children lest they become disheartened. Now, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would add your anointing, your revelation, and your blessing to the reading and the expounding upon your scriptures. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Fathers, and we'll, this will be the theme throughout the rest of our time together. Fathers have the basic responsibility to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. doesn't leave mom out. Mom's part of, the, part of the equation. But at the end of the day, we have the basic responsibility. It's on us. Too many fathers, and I've done it, everybody's, too many fathers want to leave everything to mama and go, go off somewhere. And, and that's just abdication. It's not godly. So I'm going to go through just a few things that fathers do or, or the role of fathers. I'm not, I can't spend a lot of time on any of them, but number one, fathers communicate the character of God. Kids want to know who God is. What is God? What is God like? It's our response. And I, you're thinking, well, okay, now we're in big trouble. You'd be surprised what your children can see in you that you can't see in you because of God's grace. We communicate the character of God. Even Psalm 103 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The compassion that we communicate to our children and grandchildren and anybody else for that matter, it comes from God the Father who has compassion on us. I don't remember where I read uh, recently, I read some scriptures where, and maybe it was last Sunday, 
where God said, I'm, I'm, going, I'm, I'm turning my face away from you for a moment, but then I'm going to have compassion on you. And that's who God is. Fathers, we as fathers have the formidable task of creating an atmosphere where those in our household can have a concept of who God is. It's a fairly well-accepted fact across the whole spectrum of culture that children grow up, their image of God is related and connected to their image of their earthly father, which is why there are so many messed-up kids. Once again, no condemnation, and don't... Okay, direction, not perfection. But so many kids have never seen anything close to God's character. They've seen anything but. And part of that goes back to last week's sermon. Dare I ask anybody, (laughs) I'm not going to quit. Don't worry. By the way, I didn't quit doing the videos either, in case you watched that. Um, What was the title of last Sunday's message? Okay, I quit. (laughs) Let me look it up. No, it was actually, we have met the enemy, and he is us. And a lot of the problem with fathers is that fathers are so consumed with ourselves and our desires and our wishes that we don't want to sacrifice for the children. Let me just tell you, if you're not willing to sacrifice, you're not willing to be a father. And that applies to motherhood too, but we, we beat up on the mothers on Mother's Day. We're beating up on dads today. We're not beating up on anybody. That's one of the things that my friends, my friends, I listen to Rick and Bubba. My wife listens to Rick and Bubba with me. And, uh, you know, they say all the time on their show, this, the opinions of this show are not necessarily those of this radio station, but they should be. <laughs> and... They're always talking about how, you know, typically on Father's Day we get together and beat up fathers. You know, Mother's Day we get up and bless mothers and brag on them, and then we won't get beat up the fathers. I'm not trying to do that today. But I want to tell you that your role as a father is to communicate the character of God. Secondly, fathers impart the knowledge of God. Uh, we have a primary responsibility to impart to them the not, who is God, not just what his character is, but who is God? John writes, I don't have a slide for this, but John wrote in his first letter, he said, I write to you fathers because you know him, and you'll notice that the him is capitalized. Oh, I don't have a slide. Never mind. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. Everybody say know him. And, of course, that's a relational term. That's not just information. That's a relational term. If we know God, we have a relationship with God. He said, I write to you because you have a relationship with him. And we as earthly fathers communicate that to those under our care. What do we do with these little ones? Deuteronomy tells us, but watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Somebody I read recently said the measure of a father is not his children, but it's his grandchildren. I got two pretty ones sitting right here on the second row. 
and some other ones somewhere else. Because what happened? Does it transfer? Does it move? I don't know. Be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Here, listen, watch this. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Did he leave anything out? Now, here's the key to that. I'm not opposed one iota to having family devotional times or family altar, whatever description you give to it. I'm not opposed to that. But if that's the only time your kids learn about God, they're malnourished. This, t- this scripture is teaching us that every when we're sitting down, when we're getting up, when we're sleeping, when we're awake, you know, whatever may be the case, communicate who God is in those times. Through natural flow Uh, In events of life, you can do it. Teach them the knowledge of God. A third thing is, and this has got to be, they've got to be touchy here or careful, not touchy. Fathers direct their household. Hmm. Okay, Genesis 18. For I have chosen him, speaking of Abraham, so that he may, don't get get upset with his word, just hang, hang in there with me. He may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. I chose him because he would command his household. Uh, Once again, this is not, I'm the big bad boss. Y'all do remember the story. I'm sure you remember the story about the guy that went off to a conference. And he came back and he told his wife and said, I'm the head of the house now, and I learned this at this conference. And from now on, it's going to be my way or the highway. You're going to do what I say, when I say, and how I say it. I don't want to get any hear anything out of you. And he didn't see her for two weeks. <laughs> and then he could see her a little bit out of one eye. <laughs> if you try to heavy hand your wife, that's what you'll get. That's what you deserve. That's not what this scripture is talking about. The word there, command, it really just means to give charge. It means to commission. It means to point. It doesn't mean to drive. Now, sometimes you have to, and we'll get to correction in a moment. I know the kids are looking forward to that one. But sometimes you have to say to the child, I'm not going to embarrass him, but I saw Adam with one of his children today. He's got four, so you can just take your pick. Giving them some instruction about what they were going to do, and they were going to do it right now. Sometimes you got to do that. He learned that from me. Anyway, (laughs) the statement that God is making about Abraham directing or commanding his family was made in the context of looking down into Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard me say that Ruth Bell Graham said several years ago that if God did not judge America soon, he would owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And so God, in that context, is saying, I chose this guy because he would direct, he would manage, he would commission his family. He would be a godly leader. God's mind was obviously on that city and its condition. 
because its demise was directly tied to the failure of the family. And here we are, 2022, United States of America, and our culture has decayed because of the demise of the family. And one of the main reasons for that, maybe the main reason for that, is the, the dearth of fatherhood, absentee and neglectful fathers. Four, fathers extend correction. Proverbs says, correct your son and his daughter too. So girls, you didn't get off the hook here. And he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. If you want to grow up, especially those with young children, if you want to grow up in your later years being miserable and regretful, just let your kid do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it because you love them. Remember the first first verse I read? If you don't discipline your children, and I'm going to mention that in a moment, you don't really love them. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Once again, and we read about being illegitimate children. He went on to say, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. So I didn't respect them then, but you do later. You do later. At the moment, yeah, when you're, when you're you know, suffering the, the pain, and I know y'all going to hate me and want to fire me, but I believe in spanking children. Tell them, ask my four sons. They'll tell you I believed in it, and I still believe in it. I don't believe in beating them. That's a whole different issue. But anyway, earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Aren't you glad you grew up? <laughs> See, when you get to be older, your parent Anyway, for the, for the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, everybody say later, Later. it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Correction is a good thing. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 3.16, when it lists the benefits of the Scripture, one of the benefits is correction, that we can be corrected. We're talking correction, not necessarily punishment. Now, sometimes punishment is in order. Punishment is not correction. Punishment is trying to get a child into a place where they can be corrected, where they, where they can point a different direction. And as I said earlier, we're not talking about beating or abusing children. We're talking about correction. A child is going one way, I'll not tell this story, but it just came to me. I was 15 years old, wild, and I was working at a local gas station. Now, young people believe this or don't believe it, but back then, you didn't get out of your car at the gas station. (laughs) Somebody would come out and poke their head in your window and say, what do you want? And, of course, back then, you would say, give me $2 worth, and that'd get you for a week. (laughs) That wouldn't even get you out of the parking lot today. (laughs) 
But I was working at this gas station, and a guy that I know had set me up with a date with an older woman. This was before I was a Christian, so go ahead and cut me some slack. Probably a little while after I was a Christian, too. But anyway, this was an older lady who had children. She was that much. Anyway, I'm 15. I got a motorcycle. And so I'm waiting to get off work at 10 o'clock at night at this gas station. And then I'm, I don't remember exactly. I must be going to meet her somewhere or something. I don't remember. About 10 minutes before time to me to get off, I saw my daddy's car pull in the parking lot of that gas station. I went over. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just here to make sure you make it home. Now, he's in heaven now. I still don't know how he knew what was going on. But do you know how grateful I am? That my dad pulled into that parking lot with his Plymouth Belvedere and gave me some correction. He didn't, he didn't hit me. He didn't scold me. He didn't say a word to me other than I'm making, here to make sure you get home. And guess what? I made it home. And so grateful. Who knows? I, I get chill bumps when I think about what might have happened had he not come that night to that gas station and rescue me and give me correction. That's what I'm talking about. Go in one direction. Let's go another direction. Okay. Here's a hard part. Fathers are releasers. My wife and I had a friend when we were, about the time we got married and dated, and we still have the same friend today. I'm not going to mention his name because he may be watching. But I think he was 23, 24 years old, 22, I don't know. <laughs> uh, how many of y'all ever watched the color episodes of the Andy Griffith Show? Y'all missing out. So you don't know who Howard Sprague is. Well, then you watch the color episodes. He, ne- he doesn't appear in any black and white. Come on now. You may give you a lesson on the Andy Griffith show here real quick. This guy was similar to Howard Sprague in that his mother had him tied to her pretty tight. You can't go there. You can't do this. And I said to him one day, I said, blank. You're 22 or 23 years old. Why are you letting your mother tell you what to do? I never got a good answer for that. And one day he did get released. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, how many of you understand when it comes to arrows for your bow, there's no pride in ownership in this, in this sense? Are the arrows designed to remain in the quiver? 
They're designed to be launched. Now, you may go get them and shoot them again, but they're designed to pull out of that quiver and launch somewhere. Quiver of arrows. The hard thing to do is to know when to release your offspring. Where are we releasing them when we release them? Into adulthood. I can give you a little hint. It's easier for daddies than it is mamas. I didn't say it wasn't impossible. And I know some mothers that, that when their kid goes off to college, they don't even go out to the car to see them off. They're in the bedroom measuring for drapes and stuff where, <laughs> where their bedroom used to be. But I also want to say this. When you release your kids into adulthood, you don't do it all at once. It's, it's similar to if you had someone by the arm... It's like if you just began to slowly loosen that grip and slowly loosen that grip. Maybe it's like when you taught your child to ride the bicycle and they had training wheels, and then you took the training wheels off and and you said, I'm going to hold on to the bicycle, and you do for a while, and they're pedaling and you're holding on, and then you let go of the bicycle and they don't even know it, but they're riding. It's sort of like that. That fathers should take the responsibility. Now, everything I'm saying, including this, mothers are active in this. It's a team effort. But the father takes the primary responsibility to release the offspring into adulthood so that they can be a participating, functioning, contributing citizen in our society, bringing with them the kingdom of God. Now, this one gets real complicated in, our, in, in today's world. Fathers protect the children's mother. Well, you know why it's complicated. Because sometimes the father isn't married to the children's mother. Well, I'll just read the scripture and then I'll comment. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. For those of us who have, you know, I'm still married to my children's mother. And, you know, it's interesting that Jason's here today. I won't use you too much of an example, Jason. But I had to tell Jason one time that she was my wife before she was his mother. And he had to change how he treated her. Now, he treats her great today. But, and there was a time I didn't treat my mother so well. But... It's our responsibility, especially those of us who are married to the mother of our children, it's our responsibility to make sure they do not bring shame to their children, and the rod of reproof will cure that. See, that guy's old fogey. Yeah, I'm so old fogey, I believe the scriptures. Now, where it gets complicated is where a person is not married to their children's mother. What are we supposed to do now? God's agape love is not romantic love. God's agape love is an unconditional decision that we make on how to treat someone. And the scripture is very clear whether we like someone or don't like someone. We are commanded 
to agape them. We're not commanded necessarily to like them. I told you not long ago, y'all know, there's people sitting in this room you don't like. As a matter of fact, there's probably a bunch. I might be one of them today. I don't know. But you don't have to like someone to, to, to offer them God's love, God's agape love, because it has nothing to do with a feeling. It has nothing to do with an emotion. It has nothing to do with how we, how we are, think of someone. It has everything to do with giving them the love that God has given us. God gave you his love, and you didn't deserve it. If you, thought, if you think you deserved it, you are greatly deceived. That thing tells me every week I'm done when I'm not. Shut up. <laughs> but I'm almost done. Don't get nervous. So if you're in a situation where you are not married to your children's mother, you're still required to agape them and to protect them from the children, protect them from those children bringing shame to them. Again, you may not like them, and you may have good reason to not like them. There's people I don't like, and I'm not going to tell which one of y'all y'all are. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, yeah. <laughs> Y'all just got to guess. But it has nothing to do with liking. And it certainly has absolutely nothing to do with romance. I've, I've, I've talked to our worship team for years, and they've done a great job of this, of avoiding songs that portray our relationship with Jesus as our boyfriend. Or that we would have a romantic relationship with Jesus. I just want to crawl under a chair when I hear those songs. I want to break things. Jesus is not your boyfriend. He's your Lord. He's your king. He's your master. And so we communicate this agape. I think I beat it to death. I'm going to finish up with some practical suggestions. You may or may not like these, and some of them are repetitive. The best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother. Spend a lot enough time on that. Second thing is that you take responsibility. And the reason I say take responsibility is because it's not going to fall in your lap. You're not going to gain it just accidentally. You're not going to wake up one morning and, and a responsibility has fallen on your chest and you've picked it up. You're going to have to take it. Take is an active measure, an active step. You're going to have to take responsibility. Because society's going to tell you to abdicate. Society's going to tell you to be absent. Society's going to tell you, leave it to mama. Society's going to tell you, you just bring those children down to, to us down here at the schoolhouse. You just bring them to us, drop them off, and you forget, we'll, 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 they belong to us now. By the way, that's not true. I'm not opposed to children being in public school, but don't ever abdicate and give your children to them. I say them because there's one right there. All right, here we go, guys. If your child's going to be mad at someone, let it be you. If they're going to be angry with somebody, let it be you. One of my pastors told me one time, Brother Curtis Foreman, y'all know Brother Curtis, he said, you make sure you're the heavy in the relationship. Make sure your wife does not have to be the heavy. You be the heavy with the kids. And I did. Sometimes too heavy. But if they're going to be mad at somebody, let, them, let it be you and not the mother. 
Direct your household, but don't bully it. Direct, but don't bully. Love your children, but don't abuse them. And to do that, you would have to be sacrificial. And the last one is kind of hard in our culture, but avoid absenteeism as much as possible. We work, we're occupied with our time. But sometimes I think some guys find excuses to be absent. Find extra things to do so they don't have to be around. I read a story about a boy asking his daddy what he made an hour at work. And he said, well, it's none of your business. And uh, so finally he said, okay, so I make $20 an hour. Kid said, can you give me $10? He said, why do you want $10? He got kind of angry. The kid went on to bed. A little while the dad went in there. He apologized. I'm sorry that, that I got all over you about that. He said, here's, here's $10. I don't know what you want with it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And the kid got real excited. He jumped up and took out a shoebox or something and took some money out. He said, that's good. He said, I, I got it. He said, what do you have? He said, I have $20 in this box. I'd like to buy an hour of your time. Avoid absenteeism as much as possible. We have to talk about spiritual fatherhood because there are those who will never have an adequate earthly father in their life. For those who don't have fathers or have no relationship with their father, God provides a spiritual father. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he said, if you were to have countless tutors or mentors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, he wasn't their earthly father, but he was their spiritual father. He applied the principles of fatherhood. He taught them the character of God. He taught them the knowledge of God and all down the list. And you may have, I felt like my dad was a good guy. Now, he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ until I was 16 years old. But I had a good father. But I had spiritual fathers in my life, still do. Paul writes in, to Timothy, he said, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, we know he wasn't his earthly father because we know from the book of Acts that Timothy's father was a Greek. Timothy had a father. I suppose he was active in his life. But Paul came along and adopted Timothy as his spiritual son, and they began to travel together. So he refers to him as his child in the faith. He also refers to him to Timothy, my beloved son. Let me just say this, some of you, maybe some of you who've never had children and never will, you can provide spiritual fatherhood. Some of you who need spiritual fatherhood, you need to latch on to somebody. Now, don't, don't make that mechanical. Don't force things. But let God direct you to someone. I remember, uh, speaking of Curtis Foreman, I remember traveling to Mobile, Alabama in June of 1977 and meeting with a group of people around a table at a Western Sizzling Steakhouse on the corner of University Boulevard to Airport Road in Mobile. And yet I can't remember what I did yesterday. But 
We sat down, John Duke, there were several of us there. And as soon as I began talking to Curtis across the table, I knew that he was going to be my pastor. I, you know, I was 22 years old. I knew, I mean, I, I didn't need anybody, did I? Started pastoring when I was 20. But as soon as we sat down and began to have conversation and dialogue, I knew that Curtis was the guy. And for the next 16 years, he was involved in our lives. Still is, but not as a pastor. Spiritual fatherhood is a very, very important and valuable asset in the body of Christ. Got to let God do it. Lastly, children. Scripture says a wise son makes a father glad. Or, or daughter. My granddaughter's here. A wise son or daughter makes a father glad. A wise son or daughter accepts their father's discipline. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So listen to your father who begot you. You say, well, they're not perfect. They make mistakes. Yep, they do. Welcome to the club. If we were waiting on perfect fathers, we would have no fathers. Hmm. Honor your father and mother. By the way, when you're grown, you still do that. You don't always obey your parents when you're older, but you always honor them. And a lot of times you don't honor them because they're so deserving, and they often are, maybe always, I don't know, but you honor them because you're honoring God. Boy, you got quiet. So I'll finish on that scripture. Why don't you just stand with me, and then as soon as I read this, we'll dismiss. Honor your father and your mother. As the Lord your God has, everybody say, commanded you. That your days may be prolonged, that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. So we've covered pretty much the whole gamut. God help us all to be what who we are, fathers, mothers, children, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, the whole part of what we do as a body of Christ. May God help us and give us the grace and the ability to do that. Now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we can't do this without you. We can't be the father or be the mother. We can't even be, really be the children we need to be without your help, without your empowerment. So we pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon everyone under the sound of my voice, uh, that we would be gifted with that ability. And as we are particularly celebrating Father's Day today, I pray for every father, every father today, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, you would undergird them with strength, with ability, with wisdom beyond measure, Lord Jesus, and help us all to be that person who represents you, God the Father, to our children and grandchildren. Thank you for this day that we set aside to honor the fathers, we also thank you that we honor our fathers and mothers every day of the year. And I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your presence as you have been with us. And I, th and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
God bless you. Happy Father's Day. Don't forget to pick up the little gift outside that we have for you.